You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. has really been ministering to me a lot concerning uh, hope and expectation. And I want to go to Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. Psalm 16 and verse 8. And I believe we can probably have this up on the screen. You know, I had the privilege this past week, we were on family vacation. And the, the week before, or the five days before, so I was at a conference in, uh, in Colorado. It's the most I've ever been gone in one stint from since we've from since my whole life actually um and it was just so awesome to see what the lord was doing and you know for years and this has nothing to do with my message but i wanted to share this just because i'm excited for years i'll say for four to five years somewhere in that neighborhood there are two ministries that i think are uh more than vital i don't really have words to describe it but there are two ministries that are in the earth that I think are incredibly important. And a lot of people are affected directly and probably even more indirectly by these two men and their ministries. And I've been praying for them to come together. And then this past week or two weeks ago, it happened. And when I heard that it was gonna happen, I was like, Liz, should I go? She's like, you can't not go. You've been believing for that. And it's the ministry of Bill Johnson and Andrew Womack. And one of the things that the Lord really highlighted, he highlighted a lot, but here's one thing he highlighted to me while I was there, is that oftentimes we feel like we are the river, but the reality is we are only a stream that contributes to the river. And there is a move of God in the earth that is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than this church. There's tremendous things that are happening. But when I, when I look at those two ministries in particular, and I mean, I just love this. I just, I love the coming together of different streams that both love God. And when you take Andrew, he's the best explanation and the best, in my, my opinion, he teaches the best on who God is, the love of God and the grace of God. When you listen to Bill, you experience more than you get teaching. That's Kent's thing. And when I saw them come together, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is awesome. And it was, it was just very, very special. But it was a sign to me more than just me having my feel like, you know, my prayers were effective in that, that area. I feel like it's a sign of things that God's doing in the earth. And there is a great sifting that has and is happening. And the Lord showed me this. I was actually talking to somebody just last week. And as I was talking, I was like, oh my gosh, that's really good. Uh, when you get gold, how you can get gold one way is that you can, you can pan for gold, right? You've seen people pan for gold. Maybe you've gone to one of these places where you can pan for gold. And what happens is that everything else gets sifted out in the Lord. And you've heard me say this before, that there's a great sifting happening in the church. And God is sifting people out that aren't willing to be aligned with him. And I'm not talking about to hellfire, but I'm talking about he's looking for the ones that are, if you will, that they're gold, that they're really aligned with his purposes and his will. And he's found that with Liz and I. He's found that probably with most of you sitting in this room to where you've come to a place of surrender to where you've said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You have my home, you have my heart, you have my marriage, you have my money, you have everything about me belongs to you. But what's interesting is that after, you, after the sifting comes, then what happens with gold? Is it ready to go? No, actually it gets put into, into the fire. 
And when Aubrey was singing about that this morning, I thought, oh my gosh, next is going to come the fire. There's been a great sin. I'm telling you prophetically what I, what I sense and what I know in my knower, that there is still a sifting that's happening and God is like looking for people. And again, it's not God going, I'm gonna love you and I'm not gonna love you, but God's just looking for a few good men and women who will simply say yes. I think possibly the greatest word we have learned and will be known by the end of this age is yes. Because when the Lord asks, will you, will you, our answer is yes. God, our wills are aligned with you. And so when he finds those people, then they get put into the fire so that all of the things, all the impurities, all the things that don't belong in our thinking and our understanding what we believe to be right, all of that can be purified so that what remains, God can take it and do something fabulous with it. And I'm excited to be a part of people that are, that are doing that. And so I look at that in-house, but I also look at globally, there's some things that are happening that I think are really, really powerful. Hallelujah. So just say amen for my sake, because I'm excited. So I want to look at this in Psalm 16. And the Lord began to minister to me uh, lately concerning hope, and hope is extremely important. And if I have time, I'll get into this a little bit more, but we don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, but hope is operating in hope is a lost art. And if you don't have hope, you can't have true Bible faith. And a lot of people don't know what hope is. I know for me for years, I didn't really know what hope was. I just heard, you know, the faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. And, you know, uh, hope is the substance Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I've heard these different things about hope, but I really didn't know what it was. But hope, just in really simple form, is using your imagination. It's using your thinking. It's where you place your attention to believe something can take place. And I'm talking about positively that something can take place. And when you've been a believer for a long time, and you've prayed and you've seen some things happen, but you've prayed and you've not seen some other things happen, if you're not careful, careful your, your thought life, your attention can be placed on the things that didn't happen versus the things that did happen, and furthermore, on the things that can happen. But people that really live in hope live with a positive expectation that great things can happen and great things will happen, and God will do it in their day and in their time. And so really true, true faith people truly are hope people. I'm talking about Bible faith people are really truly hope people. And I think it's important that we build not only in our own hearts and in our own homes, but in the church, we build a culture of hope versus a culture of hype. Because a lot of times we can come in and we can... Um, and, you know, just depending on the service and the songs that could be sung or whatever, people will jump or they'll shout or they'll, they'll do things based on how they feel, but not necessarily based on the expectation that they have on the inside. And I really believe that as we build a culture of hope to where we, we individually have an expectation, we have a vision on the inside of what God is going to do, that's when it culminates into something even greater. Because now we've built a culture, instead of just coming in and getting all charged up, which I like, I like fast-paced things. I like um, high praise. I like to see people jump and shout and dance. But a question could be asked, 
Why are people jumping and shouting and dancing and lifting their hands and, and, and all of those kind of things? Why are they doing it? Are they doing it because everybody else is doing it or are they doing it because they truly have hope inside of their heart that God's going, that God is and God is going to do something tremendous with them? And I think that if we can learn to come to that place of having real, true Bible hope, and then we worship from that place, we live from that place, then we're going to see greater amounts of things in our days. Because faith is, you can't have true faith without true hope. I'm talking about biblical faith without biblical hope. It says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of hope. Faith comes from hope. If there wasn't a difference, if hope was just believing, there wouldn't be a difference between faith and hope. Faith is what connects us to the realm of the supernatural. Without faith, we have no connection to the realm of the supernatural. And God wants us to live in the realm of faith. But if we only have, quote, faith without having hope, we have no substance to our faith. It's only flapping lips and just quoting some scripture verses. You can quote 100 verses and not be in faith. Or you could quote one verse and truly be in faith because it was based on real, true hope. Hope is this, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you say, what is hope? In simple term, I kind of already said it, but I'll say it again. Hope is using your imagination. It's using your thinking. It's really relinquishing your thought life over to the Lord and allowing him to stir something in you that will cause you to be in real, true Bible faith. It gives substance to faith. Hallelujah. You know, I noticed something recently um, I actually, some people might laugh at this, but, and you can laugh at it, but I, I felt an anointing to take up golf. And, and actually, as the story goes, I've told it, but a friend of mine bought me golf clubs when I was in the golf store uh, looking at golf clubs. And he calls me and asks me what I'm doing. I told him, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you money. No, I'm going to give you more money. And then when I told him how much they cost, because he asked me, it was like double of what he was going to give me. And he's like, I'm not going to bless you halfway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the whole thing. And then he was late giving me the money. And then he sent an extra $100. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm like, you don't have to give me interest on a gift. He's like, no, no, that's the right thing to do. I said, okay. So I got some extra golf balls then too. So it, it worked out good because boy, do I need them. Um, but I, I, noticed, I noticed something. I was out. And this is, can I be vulnerable with you? I'm going to be vulnerable. I was a transparent, this is a word probably, but I was out playing golf uh, one day all by myself. I had a little bit of time and I thought, I'm going to go. I don't have anybody else to go with me at the moment. That's fine. I'm going to go take the time by myself. I'm going to walk nine holes. And, you know, I get out there on the first tee box and I tee off and as usual, it goes... <laughs> At $1,500 clubs, and I still hit like I got Walmart clubs. I hit further bad is what I come up to. So anyways, um, and so when I, sh when I hit my shot, I was like, that was a really crappy shot, Ken. Uh, and something in me said, that's really not the right thing to say. 
So I hit, and as it went on for about three holes, and I hit a few good ones, mostly bad ones. And the Lord said, listen to yourself. I was like, man, you're, you're right. I mean, obviously he's right, but I, I hear what I'm saying. And you might be like, well, it's just a golf game, you know, but it's more than that. We have self-talk. Sometimes it comes out of our mouth, but most of the time, even if it doesn't come out of our mouth, it's still on the inside of us. It's still the way that we think. And I think the exact same way when I'm playing around other people, it's just that I don't say it. I'm a bit of a hypocritical golf player. I won't really say what I'm thinking about my golf game. You're like, what's the point? Is this about golf? No, it's about how we see ourselves, how we see what God can do through us and in us. And so that was just something simple. It doesn't matter how good my golf game is, but what does matter is that I view myself, I talk about myself, and I think about myself like God thinks about and talks about and sees me. And if you're going to have negative self-talk, then you're you're in, in negative thinking, then you're not really going to have hope on the inside. And I found that one of the first things that the enemy will often do to kill hope is make you believe that it won't happen for you and to you. And so you can be in a service where you'll have a minister stand up and say, God, there's a great awakening coming. Like here, I say that because I believe that and it's here and it's happening. And you can have all these really powerful things. You can, hey, amen, amen. But on the inside, you're thinking, probably won't happen to me. I probably won't be used in that. I don't think that I'm really going to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. I don't think that I'm going to see a mass amount of people come to Jesus because I've preached to God or whatever it is. And we get into this place of self-talk and it's negative. And what that does is it actually works against hope. Because if you could hear something like that, and you could say, you know what, God, you could, you could do that through me in my day and in my hour. You could do that. You could do that in my life. You could use me to do that. You know, it's just as easy to say, God, you can do that versus that'll never happen to me. It's just a choice. And when you make the choice to think that way and to speak that way, you build biblical hope on the inside of you and you actually give substance to faith, which is the tool that takes what's in the supernatural and brings it to the natural. If we miss the step of hope, we cannot operate in true Bible faith because that means that our faith is attached to flesh, which has no substance to it. Let me look at this and... Let's look at it together in Psalm 16 and verses 8 and 9. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. You know, that's a very interesting statement to start with. I have set the Lord always before me. Last time I checked, we don't have the power to pick God up and put him anywhere. <laughs> this is talking about, I don't want to say it's in a figurative sense, but it's literally saying in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, that I have set the Lord always before me. Not just some of the time, not just when I'm in the pulpit, but when I'm out playing golf, I can talk nasty about my golf game. <laughs> now it's like, look at that blessed shot, Kent. Amen. You know what that is? It's actually even something as simple and silly as golf. You're practicing getting yourself into hope. Whatever it is that we're doing, 
We should be speaking positive about us. You realize that we were created in the image and the likeness of God? He thinks enough of us to put his stamp and his image on us. Every evil word that rises in judgment, the Bible says that you shall condemn. Just like what Jonathan did. He had been hearing these things for years, and finally he got his voice. It wasn't about the singing at that moment. It probably is about that too. But it was about having his voice raise up and saying, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to think that, and I'm not going to speak that over myself, and I'm not going to receive anything else that anybody else says. If we can do that, because the word says that every evil word that rises in judgment and speaking about against you, it says you shall condemn. There's action on our part to say, no, I'm not going to believe that. Because, you know, you can't, I heard Brother Hagin said it like this. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop thoughts from coming. I guarantee you, next time I slice the ball over into the next fairway, I'm probably going to think that was a really rotten shot. And in all, all fact, it really is a rotten shot. But should I really sit and condemn myself over something that didn't go right? No. And he said, you know what? Thank you, Jesus, that I am going to fix my slice, that my slice is working out. You say, well, who cares about a golf slice? Let's get into miracles. If we can't be faithful over the lesser things, how are we going to be ruler over the greater? We've got to learn to tame our tongue. We've got to learn to get our thoughts and our mouth in the right way to build true Bible hope. He is always before me, even when I'm playing golf poorly. Because he, at, he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Look at verse 9. I love this. It says, therefore, my heart is glad. Why? Because you're not moved. Why? Because you have the Lord always with you, always before you. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. My flesh will rest in hope. Most of the time we get this backwards. And when our flesh is not completely ruling us, we have hope. But it actually, the reverse, the reverse is true, is that your flesh is what rests in hope. You don't get hope because your flesh isn't ruling you at the moment. If you only have hope, because things aren't chaotic, it's not real hope. It's just an extenuating circumstance, and the next time the wind blows and knocks you over, your hope is gone. That's not real true hope. You ever been there before? You prayed for something, and then it was like within five minutes or the next day or something, everything came against you, and you fell apart like a $2 suitcase, I heard it said before. <laughs> you ever seen a $2 suitcase? I got one free at a, at a Cardinal game one time. I was like, this is cool. I was a kid. I literally packed my bag to go somewhere. I picked it up and the whole thing just ripped apart. <laughs> and that's often what happens whenever we've got something we think is, is, we feel good about it, but then when any pressure is put on it, it just tears apart. Real true Bible hope doesn't get moved just because of circumstances. And so when you are in hope, your flesh, can we pull that verse back up there real quick? Your flesh will rest and hope. If you want to see, oh my God, it's so powerful. If you want to see, your stop, see yourself stop going up and down and being tossed to and fro and carried about every which way, get into hope, which is a positive expectation 
of what God can and will do. And then the next thing that comes against you that is different than the word that was spoken to you, you won't waver. You'll say, you know what? I've got hope in what God has told me. I've got hope. My heart is established. My heart, David said, my heart is fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. It's steadfast on what you have said. But where that comes into play is not just saying it one time and then walking away from it and expecting it to produce. It's saying it and then carrying it with you everywhere you go. Because when you carry the word with you, you carry the Lord with you. If you want to carry the Lord with you, you have to carry his word with you. His word has to go with you everywhere you go. And when our conversation with ourself, our self-talk can become the same conversation that we have with the Lord when it's easy, when we can carry that with us everywhere we go, that's when we're going to see breakthrough. That's when we're going to see a difference. Because a lot of that, the heaviness and the things that the enemy comes and brings against us, it's because we're cooperating with him in our thinking. We're often cooperating with him in the way that we speak. And we're wondering, why are things so heavy? Why do I have this oppression? Why do I have all these things coming against me? It's because, honestly, we're cooperating with the devil and we're not cooperating with the Lord because we don't think right and we're not speaking right, all of those things. Amen. I want to show you this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to go to verse 13. I want to show you this. The Lord really, really spoke this to my heart, actually this morning, very strongly. And I'm going to finish with this. You guys are getting something out of this? 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 13, and we know this well. And it says, now abide faith, hope, love. These three. So these three things abide, or these three, three things remain. But the greatest of these is love. You notice it says that the greatest is love, but it doesn't say the only one is love. That's why it lists all three, because they're all three important. Then go to the next chapter. Man put chapter and verse in there to break things up, and that's fine. But this was all one letter written. So again, verse 13 of, of chapter, thir chapter 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love in these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, 14.1, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Anytime you see a, a word that's italicized, it means that it was put in there to make the sentence grammatically correct. So if you didn't have the word gifts in there, it would read like this, pursue love and desire spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. Something needed to be in there for the English language to make sense of what it was saying. Let me throw this out there to you. I don't think gifts is a wrong thing, but maybe a better word that could be in there would be things. Because if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, he is talking about gifts, a lot of gifts, but he's also talking about spiritual things. So it could read, pursue love and desire spiritual things, but especially that you may prophesy. You know what I've found? is that I have lost a desire at times for spiritual things. And you know, when you look at something that is a problem, what we need to do is go and find the solution and then desire the solution to fix the problem. 
and when you're looking at a natural world that's been messed up by a supernatural demonic devil, we need the, super de- we need the supernatural, all-powerful God to fix the problem is what we need. And so you know what we need to do is we need to, to get into desiring things. It says desire, and some translations say desire earnestly spiritual gifts or spiritual things. And if you want to say gifts, it's not just the gifts of the Spirit, but faith, hope, and love are also all gifts. You know what we should do is we should desire faith, hope, and love. Let me tell you what faith, hope, and love are. Love is the proper motivation for living in the supernatural. Love is the proper motivation for living in the supernatural, for experiencing, for having God show up in your business. It's God's love that motivates us or should motivate us. We're motivated by the fact that God loves us and that we're called to love other people. Faith is what causes us to access the realm of the supernatural, but hope sees the realm of the supernatural. Love is the proper motivation. Faith is what causes us to access it. And hope is what sees the realm of the supernatural. What we don't see on the inside, we won't see on the outside. Some could call it faith. And hope and faith walk side by side. They they go hand in hand. But again, you cannot have real true Bible faith without true Bible hope. We have to see ourselves on the inside doing it. And this is why sometimes people... They will be faithful to speak the word, to confess the word, to speak the word, to confess the word, to declare what God says. And they'll do it and they'll wear themselves out without seeing any manifestation, any fruit of it. And it's because they never genuinely saw themselves that way on the inside. They never took their imagination and imagined what it would be like to see the problem that they were facing, which is impossible for them to fix They never saw God coming through and actually fixing that thing and moving over into a realm of victory. And without that, you don't have hope, and therefore faith will not work. Because again, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Of means of, out of, and from the origin of. True faith originates from true hope. It has to be something that we see on the inside. So my heart for you and for us this morning is that we desire hope. It's a gift. Hope is a gift. The ability to see, to take our minds and imagine God doing great exploits through us, that's a gift that's given from God. It's his desire earnestly. If you want to leave the word gifts in there because you just can't handle changing it out because that's how you read it your whole life and you don't like the word things, that's fine. Keep gifts in there. Hope is still a gift. Desire spiritual gifts. Desire hope because it's a spiritual gift given to us from God desire that our hope increases, that we may believe and see the manifestation, that God will do great things in our day. And this is what I propose to you is that as we increase in hope, we will increase in manifestation personally, because when hope comes and faith comes, then manifestation comes. Listen to this. I wrote this down just this morning. I hope it's good. If it's not just, it's good. Hope inspires desire Desire inspires action. And when I was just thinking about one of, my, one of my things, and I've seen this before, and I'm sure I've done some of this, it's like 
I have a desire to see a, a whole church, a whole city, but we'll start with our church. Falling down at the, at the feet of Jesus and whatever that looks like, it could be running, it could be jumping, it could be shouting, it could be God just doing a work in the heart, but to have everybody fully engaged to where there's action because true worship involves action. Sometimes people will say, you know, I, I, I worship the Lord. And there, there's a level of worship you can do in your heart that is not, does not involve actions, but the truest and highest form of worship will involve actions. And so at times it's kind of like, everybody jump, everybody shout, everybody come to the, the altar kneel, and, and God can do those things. And there's times when those words are right to compel people and motivate people. But I believe the highest form of worship is when we are so inspired on the inside about who, not just what he can do, but about who he is. And if we could have a hope in our heart that if we could see him face to face to face, and that in itself is an end, that itself is enough, that's when I believe we'll see even greater amounts of manifestation of the glory and the power of God. But you can't have desire for something unless you first have a hope that you're going to see it. Because to desire something, when you look up this word desire, it says desire earnestly spiritual gifts. It's saying that you're zealous for it. And just put spiritual whatever in there. Whatever kind of gift, whatever kind of anything that, that you need or want to see. You should desire it first. And this is like in Mark chapter 11. He says, whatsoever things you pray when you desire those things. There has to be a desire before the manifestation will come. So actions are produced by desire. And desire comes because there's first hope in your heart. And so I would say, do you have a hope? First of all, if there's actions that aren't there, then do you have a desire? If desire isn't there, then the problem is, is you need a hope on the inside of you. You need to begin to imagine yourself doing things in worship that you've never done before. Not because myself or Ron, and I'm not saying the word wasn't right, the word was 100% right. And it's not because the worship leader or any word that, that is given is like, you know what, I, I, now is the time for action. What, what would it look like if throughout our week, we were coming in and we came in here and we were so full of hope because our imagination had been turned to him that we had true Bible hope, which would produce faith that when we come in here, there was a collective faith that we would see the supernatural power of God. That's what I, if you like, what makes you tick? That's what makes me tick. For 10 years, I have been here and I have not done it perfectly. If there's one thing I've learned in ministry is that God has not had anyone qualified working for him yet. And that includes me. People got issues. But one thing that you want to know what makes me tick is I believe with everything in me and a manifested glory of God that he wants even greater on our church, on our people, and for our whole region, our whole city. But it comes with, with people, not that just are submitted but submitted with an expectation that God's going to do something great. I was thinking about this, and I wrote this down, and I said I was going to finish with the other thing, but this is the real closing. I was in prayer last night, and the Lord spoke something to me, and I want to pull it up here so that I, 
I say it right. One of the things he, he did say, beside what I'm getting ready to share, is that the burden for transformation has been passed to us. Not that God doesn't carry a burden for transformation, but we must carry a burden for transformation. Transformation in our own hearts, in our own homes, and in the city, and in the region, in the state, and the country that God has called us to. Are you burdened for transformation? If you are burdened, are you burdened for the tools? Do you have a desire for the tools that bring about transformation? And I was just thinking about things that are involved with transformation. Revelation, uh, divine revelation, divine strategy, divine, divine inspiration, divine wisdom, divine connection, divine impartation. And I use the word divine, meaning that they come from the Lord and not just something that man comes up with. But those are things that we want and need from God that will bring about transformation in our own life and in our own church and in our own city. And what brings about those things? You could break it down to three basic things. It's the word, it's prayer, and it's worship. And so as the Lord was speaking this to me, I'm like, well, Lord, what's different, what's different about, say, me or us than maybe somebody else who has prayer, word, and the worship? What's the difference? And he said, the difference is expectation. You can read the word and not read it with any expectation, and you know what you'll get? Nothing. You can worship, quote, worship, and you can do it with no expectation, and you know what you're going to get? Nothing. You can pray, and you can pray with no expectation, and guess what you're going to get? Nothing. I mean, even an old blind squirrel will come up with a loose knot once in a while, so you can receive some things. But to really get the divine things that heaven has to offer, we should come with an expectation. And that expectation can only be there because expectation is a part of faith. It can only be there if we first go into the realm of the imagination and begin to imagine and think about God doing those things. You say, well, I'm not into to all of the, the mind stuff and the thinking stuff. Are you kidding me? God gave you a mind. He gave it for us to use for our benefit, and more importantly, for his benefit. Our, our, our minds should be so lined up and in tune with him. It doesn't matter what's happening anywhere else. We're so centered in on him, and we take God, like the, the psalm read, that we take God everywhere we go. We always set him before us. And what happens is that our flesh will rest in the hope. You want to see things change in the flesh, Put God before you, get true Bible hope, and watch what he does in the midst of it. Man, hallelujah. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.